Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what's coming up this week. Coming up today, Tom will discuss the planned traffic light system facing UK travellers this summer, while I'll recap the highlights from our recent webinar with Sir Tim Clark, President of Emirates. I'll tell you about a UK startup airline that looks to be getting off the ground, while Joe will discuss the fleet shakeup at South America's LATAM. Finally, Tom will tell us why JetBlue's transatlantic A321s won't just be good up the front. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I, I, I can't not start with the UK's traffic light system because you know me, I, I'm... I've been Red, watching... Green. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching this like a hawk since the beginning, you know, like I was um, very much watching the quarantine rules and whatnot in the from the UK. And so now we have this new traffic light system. Um, the, the system itself has been confirmed, but we've still had no confirmation that it's going to start on May 17th, as everyone hopes. Or um, what countries are in what yeah. traffic light band. <laughs> yeah, well, at the moment, I think Germany is going to be in orange and that's the one that matters. Um, but no, no, so basically... Um, depending on your country, not a lot has changed. So the, the, the only new rule really is green countries. And um, I believe they're going to be determined by a sort of a combination of like the variants, the incidents and the vaccination of the country. But if you come from a green country, you know, things are better, but not by much. <laughs> so <laughs> people from green countries won't need to quarantine, which in itself is, is a great upgrade. Yeah, definitely. However, you still need two tests if this is going to be used. So you're going to have to take your pre-departure test um, like before you travel to the UK. And that's got to be, that can be one of the cheap instant tests. Um, but then when you get back, you've still got the joy of paying a hundred and uh, odd pounds for a PCR test within two days of arrival. Goodness. I mean, um, that just, that makes it impossible. I mean, I guess if it's just you and you want to visit your family, then mm. it's a cost that you can suck up. But for me, you know, if I want to take my husband and two kids on holiday this summer, that's 400 quid on top of our holiday. Yeah. And we wouldn't pay usually even that much for our flights. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to touch on that with a real world example in a minute. Oh, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but um, first, yeah. So just um, orange is basically the same as most countries now. You'll need to pay £210 for a test on day two and day eight. And you have to quarantine for 10 days. But if you spend another £100 on a day five test, you can get out after five days but you've still got to take the day eight test for some reason even um, though you left quarantine two days yeah. ago three days ago yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally you've got red nation arrivals have to stay in quarantine in a hotel for 10 days as we've seen already as for lots usual. of money yeah lots of um, money but yeah so now for a real world example to just sort of put into perspective how costly this is for travelers so um i'm looking at flying from to the UK in May, which I'm assuming will have Germany still as an orange country. So right. how much do you reckon I paid for these flights? I don't know. Knowing you, it's Ryanair and it's probably like 3p or something. <laughs> so 20 euros total for return flights from Frankfurt to London. That is not and bad, Tom. <laughs> You're such a bargain hunter. Yeah, well, that's the bargain. But the, the, the real cost here is the testing because if I, it, assuming it's an amber country, then that'll be £210 for 
the day two and day eight tests. And then I would probably go for the day five test to release test as well, making testing well over 300 pounds for flights that cost 20 euros. Oh my goodness. That's an expensive trip to see your folks, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, after half a year, you know, I feel like it might be worth the expense, but it's just crazy. I'm sure a lot of people will, but I think it will only be visiting friends and relatives, you know, really urgent trips. You're not going to get the the leisure travellers soaking up these costs unless they're just, you know, very cash rich. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of defeats the whole point of a low cost airline because, you know, one of the great things about Ryanair is that it has sort of reduced some of the social barriers to traveling for people who are on lower incomes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like while that's... The UK government just put all those barriers right back up. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, it's fine for like a business traveler if um, their company is going to be paying for the testing, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. a worry. But if, if, if you were a low income traveler who is desperate to see their family, you know, the testing could could put you off. It's a shame it's it's the PCR test because yeah. there was that interesting research, um, I think it was week before last, mm. um, that showed that actually the lateral flow tests catch something like 80% of travellers. And if you're doing mm. them multiple times and then asking people to do them again in a couple of days, you know, you're going to catch the vast majority of imported cases. Mm. And, you know, even the PCR tests aren't completely infallible. So it's not yeah. like 100% are going to be caught with this expensive test. It's just, yeah. you know, putting yet another well, block in the road to recovery. I, I believe their sort of justification for this is that they can test which variant has been identified with the PCR test. But like oh, the I simple see. solution to this is if you have a positive rapid test, take a PCR test. Well, that's the process anyway. You know, I've you got know, my kids yeah. home doing two tests a week. My husband's doing two tests a week because they're all out in the workplace and, and mm. at school. And that is the process. If they test yeah. positive, they then have to have a proper PCR test to identify the variants. So yeah. it would make absolute sense to adopt that for travel. But hey-ho, mm. <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> yeah, But um, I mean, like... I would say definitely tell me a bit about Emirates now because otherwise I'm going to be talking about this for the next half hour. Yeah, we could complain and moan about this for a very long time. But uh, yeah, if you're coming to the UK, you probably might be arriving on on Emirates. Emirates. (laughs) Oh, true. Not the minute, anyway. So, um, as many of you, I'm sure, will know, we had our wonderful webinar with the Emirates president, Sir Tim Clark, um, last week. And I know a bunch of you attended because you were saying in the comments that you're fans of the podcast. So thanks very much for your support. Um, And I just wanted really to highlight some of the interesting parts of the webinar, um, because it was a great chat, I have to say. Tim was such a lovely man and so generous with his time. Um, And I didn't realise that, you know, he started his whole aviation career as a check-in agent for BCAL back in the Mm. day. Um, So, you know, he really started at the bottom and worked his way up. It's crazy, because this is the story with a lot of the CEOs. And I just kind of have this impression in my mind that they just sort of were born a CEO (laughs) you know like they just appeared on the planet as a CEO of an airline you know yeah (laughs) I think it's lovely when you have these stories of people coming from the ground up because I think Mm. it gives them such a much better understanding of the business Mm. and you know the ones that have been pilots or you know I think for Tim having worked at the kind of cutting edge of the customer facing part it's made him a real personable guy you know he's first and foremost customer service and secondly a businessman so Mm. yeah he'd spent time 
time at Gulf Air, which was really his big break, I guess, because he managed to do a lot more there than he could have as a small cog in the great wheel of BCAL. Um, hmm. And then, of course, he moved to Emirates before it even launched, and he's been with it from the start. So, you know, he had a really exciting history, and I, I loved hearing about it. But what our webinar was supposed to be about was hub and spoke versus point to point. And we did have that discussion with Tim. And as you might expect, he's very much in favour of the hub model. Um, mm. And in fact, he said the bigger the hub, the better. Um, because, you know, the more you can do flying huge amounts of people in and connecting them with other planes to go to their final destinations, you know, the better. And mm. it's better from a customer perspective because they've got a bigger network to hand. And it's better from an airline perspective because it works financially. And um, it makes the A380 make sense, which makes me happy. <laughs> it does. He was very positive about the A380. Mm. He said it's still ideal for slot-restricted airports. And in fact, before the pandemic, 85% of Emirates profits came from the A380. Mm. You know, he said it was always full. It was really popular with passengers. And right now, actually, because the cost of aviation fuel has gone down with the, the drop in demand, um, he said that these lower fuel costs make it even more viable. So, mm. you know, he confirmed that the A380 will definitely be part of the fleet for the next 15 years. So even if all the other airlines in the world decide to shelve theirs, there's one airline you can count on still being able to fly the super jumbo with. Mm. Um, and also he indicated that this glorious premium economy product that's arriving on the new A380s is likely to be fitted on existing aircraft too. Um, he said it was a really high priority. It had been extremely well received by customers and that he was rolling it out as a priority. So I'm assuming that means that, yeah, it's going on to existing aircraft too. Hmm. Um, although he oh, didn't really so. indicate the timescales for that. But uh, yeah, hopefully there'll Tomorrow. be more opportunities to fly premium economy um, with Emirates because I can't wait to have a go in those lovely cream seats they look great mm. you and um, me both so we know that tim's a massive fan of the a380 so far not so much with the 777x um in fact he said the program was in a state of disarray and that he had no visibility on his deliveries of course they should have had their first in june last year um mm. but so many delays to that program you know boeing is now saying late 2023 for the launch customer which may or may not be lufthansa <laughs> because qatar we'll wait, thinks we'll they're getting theirs first but yeah, anyway we crazy. will see <laughs> um, but Sir Tim's even doubtful of that. He, he indicated that the first could be as late as 2025. Um, and this is impacting everything at Emirates because they were hoping to have these aircraft now. They were hoping that it would launch new routes and new frequencies. So it's yeah. messing up all their route and capacity planning going forward. Um, and it's also messing up the A380 retirement schedules. You know, so far they've only retired one A380, but others have already reached what Tim Clark considers to be a retirement age, but he's unable to let them go until he knows exactly when the 779 is arriving. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, playing havoc at the moment. And he said, I think his words was, it's vexing them rather a lot. And I thought that was a lovely turn of phrase, actually, very uh, retro English. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what was interesting is some of the smaller aircraft orders at Emirates as well. So we know that they've placed orders for the A350 and the 787 Dreamliner, which will both be brand new types to the airline. Um, you know, the, the 777X is the natural successor of the A380. The mm. A350, to some extent, is a natural replacement for the older 777s. Um, but as well as allowing retirement, Tim said that these would allow increased frequencies on already profitable routes, and particularly the interest 
interesting one for me is the 787. It's a really clever choice because yeah. this smaller aircraft will allow it to plan new routes and new connections. So, you know, Emirates has an extensive network, but it doesn't go everywhere. And he mm. said there are still many countries and many cities within countries that aren't feasible to be served by these great big aircraft. So um, the 787 is not going to go point to point. Absolutely not. Everything's still going through Dubai, but it will open opportunities to new countries and cities that can't support these largest aircraft. And uh, the one I knew, I think you found really interesting, Tom, was that the airline will indeed move uh, to the new airport, Dubai World yeah. Central, once it's complete. Yeah, I mean, well, I found this interesting because when I visited Dubai, obviously I got the chance to visit a tiny corner of what should one day be um, Dubai World Central where the air show is held. But it's mm -hmm. just, it's crazy that um, this, this, just when you look at the project, this airport that is going to be like a world, a mega, mega airport, you know, like Dubai itself is already a mega airport. This is going to be like two or three times the size. Wow. Wow. Um, it, it's mostly just still desert. Um, <laughs> Crazy. Uh, like you can kind of see, on, if you look on Google Maps' satellite, you can kind of see the outline of where the terminal buildings will go. Uh, I guess they've started doing some initial foundations, but it's just, it's a long way off. But yeah, um, Tim Clark said that Emirates will move there one day and it's just a question of when rather than if. That's cool. It's good to know that they are planning for that move. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's hope they crack on with the development because, uh, hey, the bigger hub, the better, as Sir Tim yeah. would say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks if you did follow the webinar along. And if you and missed thanks it, to do, uh, Tim for his time. Oh, absolutely. And thanks to John for his hosting. So, yeah, mm. if you did miss it, we will be releasing bits and pieces over the next few weeks. So keep an eye on our YouTube for um, bits of footage on that. And mm. with that... I'll hand over to Tom for news on a rather dubious sounding airline that is actually looking to fly. Yeah, so I, I um, was very excited this week to hear that uh, it sounds like Flypop will actually um, finally launch flights, hopefully this year. Um, and, you know, like one thing that an airline needs to fly, obviously, is, is planes. Um, of course. <laughs> and up until Unless now... it's magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, up until now, Flypop has kind of been lacking in this regard. Uh, so I was kind of excited yesterday to see that they've signed a lease agreement for multiple Airbus A330 aircraft with Avalon. Um, nice. And, you know, Avalon is a well-known name. So, you know, it's like a, a serious deal, which is quite exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Initially, they're just going to take one A330, and uh, I believe the plan is to launch flights from London Stansted to Amritsar, uh, which was initially an unserved route in terms of direct flights, uh, or even London to Amritsar was right. unserved in terms of direct flights. But then I guess um, uh, Air India kind of got wind that this would be a profit profitable route because they launched the exact same Stansted to Amritsar route prior to the pandemic. Right. Um, so I guess this is going to be one of the first routes with the aircraft. But inst interestingly, you know, they're already planning their expansion. So um, Martin Lewis, who's the senior vice president for marketing at Avalon in the EMEA region, said that they're looking forward to working with Flypop on the exciting imminent launch of flights between the UK and India. At launch, Flypop will commence operations with one aircraft, but it plans to operate uh, to add an extra aircraft every six months. Um, mm. And what I liked was he said, it's not every day we help launch a new British long-haul scheduled carrier. It's true. Because <laughs> um, really, you've only really got British Airways and Virgin Atlantic. And I mean, you've got like, um, 
we, you've got like Tui and um, Thomas yeah, Cook. Yeah, the leisure we, airlines. Not Thomas Cook. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but, we know, don't have many long haul scheduled yeah. airlines at all. And well, it would definitely be interesting to to see another one another one pop up and um what i also think is interesting (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um what i think is interesting though from a passenger perspective is the a330s are going to hold over 400 passengers because it's just going to be an all economy uh free 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 layout so wow there's going to be yeah um the ceo of the airline previously told me that they're going to have um three rows that are sort of extra leg room and they might trial uh, sky couch seats oh there, right yeah yeah everything else is just going to be your standard economy um but that means that the cheapest tickets are going to start at 350 euro, uh, pounds and they're never going to exceed 750 pounds if um if they're still sticking to that plan so is that competitive with air india i guess it is fairly isn't it yeah, I think so, you know. Um, I'm, I must admit, I haven't looked directly at the Air India fares because I don't think the route's operational right now, but um, it, it, the whole idea is that it's low cost. And, um, you yeah. know, when I chatted to the CEO, um, Nino Judge, before, he kind of uh, <laughs> he compared himself to the, the Sikh uh, Michael O'Leary with a goatee. So, um, you know, that's he, a great he, visual. I love that. Yeah, I know. He, he, he said like he would charge passengers to sleep if he could, but um, as he can't, you know, they're going to charge for like bags and meals. But by default, every fare is going to include a meal and a bag. So there's going to be no nasty surprises. You know, you're not going to show up okay. and be like, oh, just I extra this. things are going to um, cost money. It's going to be like you can re- remove them to bring down the cost rather than add them to bring oh, up the cost. Okay. Um, well, it's an interesting take on the low cost model. Yeah. But uh, low cost long haul is not easy. So <laughs> good luck to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck to them. We've got, uh, it would just be exciting to see. I love their livery, you know, with all the dots on the tail. Very <laughs> colourful. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> So um, from the UK, let's uh, fly on down to South America um, because news last week is that LATAM is retiring all of its A350s and it's Mm. doing it very, very quickly as well. So um, it was announced last week that there would be immediate retirement of as many as 11 Airbus A350s to be completed by the end of this week. Um, And it's only been six years since LATAM got its first A350. Um, Mm. And of course, this is all a a COVID impact. um, And it's, you know, all part of its Chapter 11 bankruptcy restructuring. But interestingly, so LATAM will um, now be an all Boeing operator. Um, It's going to have, well, unless it retires anything else in the near future, it will have 17 767s, 10 777 300ERs and 22 Boeing 787 Dreamliners. Um, And looking at the schedules, actually, all of the A350s are parked and have been for a little while. Um, And these won't be the first to leave the LATAM fleet. So actually, it retired the first two it received last year. Um, Mm, And one of them, yeah, one of them was the first A350 ever to fly in Latin America. So quite a significant aircraft. Mm. Um, But they've been parked up in the the desert um, at Victorville since then. Um, And of course, they were part of LATAM's original order for 25 A350s but you know the the consequences of Covid means they're scaling back Um, originally if you remember when Delta bought that big stake in LATAM they were going to buy four of the A350s off them 
them. Um, but when Latam declared bankruptcy and went into Chapter 11, they actually pulled out of that deal. Um, as far as I know, Delta is still planning to take the remaining 10 that are on the original order that haven't yet hmm. been delivered. Um yeah, because I think they did, like Airbus did reallocate those orders off the top of my head. Yeah, I think they're on the sheet now for Delta, aren't they? But mm. uh, I think the issue with the four they were going to buy is that Delta's configuration is very different to Latam's. Yeah. So they'd have needed to do an entire cabin refit, which is expensive. Uh, mm. Right now, you know, when there's hardly any wide bodies flying anyway, it was just expense that Delta didn't need. So, uh, so anyway, these first two that left last year, they're among 17 Latam aircraft that are going to be awkward off this week by Skyworks okay. leasing company. Um, so there's four 787s and 11 A321s and the two original A350s that are all going to be retired, um, auctioned off um, mm. tomorrow, actually. So the day before this podcast goes out. And, uh, and I guess these other 11 A350s will be joining them shortly because uh, Latam isn't going to fly the A350 anymore, which is sad. Mm. Um, and actually, this is kind of a trend that's seen all across Latin America. So across the big four airlines, which is Latam, Avianca, Grupo Aero Mexico and Copa, all of them have retired or rejected leases of a total of 130 aircraft since the pandemic started. Um, I mean, that's not a huge surprise, given that three of those four airline groups are under Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad time. And I think, uh, you know, Latin American carriers in particular haven't received the support they needed from their governments hmm. in terms of, you know, financial propping up. So they are going to emerge an awful lot smaller, which is a bit sad. Yeah. It's sad. But, you know, like, I mean, it's it's not just Latin America. It's happening sort of all over. It is indeed. But these, these 11 A350s are quite interesting, I think, because they're so young. Yeah. You've got to think, right, who's going to have those? <laughs> They've yeah. got to be prime for, you know, a bargain well, buy for someone. You say that, but I'm pretty sure that um, South Africa's um, A350s are still just kind of sat in the Spanish desert. So yeah, I think, yeah, they are. I, I think depending on the recovery, they will definitely be in demand at some point. But I just think... It will be a little while. Be a while, my yeah. Take. It's a shame. It's a great aircraft, so mm. uh, hopefully somebody will eventually take them up. Yeah, but um, one airplane that is looking to fly soon—wonderful <laughs> <laughs> segue—is um, the JetBlue A321LR, which is coming to London. Hopefully, we can't wait <laughs> later this year. And I, you know, it surprises me that I'm talking about this and not Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unusual. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I thought I'm going to take it, and you know, like in previous podcasts, I mean, you've told me how amazing it's going to be with the uh, new upfront seats on yeah, the. Yeah, we got to see all those lovely upfront seats and our photographer actually went up to their hangar and mm. um, took some photos of the actual seat and he said it's lovely you know yeah. it's uh, particularly these uh, studios at the front of the plane you get like extra space and a little seat for your friend to come and sit and watch a movie with you I mm. just can't wait <laughs> <laughs> well you know like you know me I'm I'm everyone's favorite economy traveler even though <laughs> sometimes we get comments on the website saying that Tom Boone should travel in economy sometime and I'm thinking <laughs> I only travel in economy <laughs> you know, <laughs> not sure Ryanair has a business class, does he? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, so I, I, I was looking at the economy section, and JetBlue has basically said, "Hey, we're going to reinvent the economy section on these aircraft." So what the, what they've done is they've kind of highlighted three 
pain points per se in typical economy class uh, classes and i love these because the first one is the dreaded center section um, the middle seat yeah no i'm thinking that means like the area over the wing rather than oh um, okay yeah it is quite yeah. noisy there and uh, yeah. you tend not um, to get good window views and stuff yeah uh, the second is the choice of and uh, this is a direct quote the choice of assembly line chicken or beef um, <laughs> yeah and then finally you've got the lack of connectivity and we're talking about sort of like digital connectivity here rather than network connectivity um, right. of airlines um, your wi-fi basically yeah um so for starters like to make the cabin more comfortable um the airline is is the launch customer for the airbus airspace um cabin so yeah. you know these there's going to be 114 seats in the economy cabin and they they say they've got the most legroom in economy transatlantic with 32 inches that's pretty so, good that is pretty um, good actually yeah and um, there's going to be four rows of even more space seating with six inches more legroom so, so um, 38 yeah 38 my maths is working uh, no yeah yeah six 38 um how embarrassing we can't do two plus six <laughs> I know. You know, tom is an engineering graduate you know listeners yes but you know i, I had my calculator at university um no um yeah so two plus six is eight if you're still wondering <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Who said we don't have fun on the podcast? Um, and, you know, I haven't mentioned my ham and cheese sandwiches recently, but um, I'm going to instead stick to assembly line chicken or beef. So okay, instead of it. this assembly line chicken or beef, um, JetBlue is planning to sort of do a build your own tray table concept. Okay, that's and interesting. So through the seat back screen, you're going to be able to customize what you want, um, choosing from what's available on board. There's going to be several different options, and you could pair, say, a different starter with a different main, um, nice. rather than just getting what they decide you're going to want. <laughs> a bit like your old Tesco meal deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and there's also sort of going to be a self-serve pantry throughout the flight um, and soft drinks, alcoholic drinks, everything is included in the ticket price. So that's, that's, that's great. Think, kind of cool. Um, yeah, definitely. Although, you know, I can just see it creating a real pain point for the staff because customizing all of these like usually you just pick out a meal tray and maybe you've got to put chicken or beef on it but yeah um, that's quite an easy process whereas they're gonna to have to put everything on as and when Separately, but you know maybe yeah maybe it's going to be more staggered rather sort of more of an eat when you want rather than everyone eating at once so it might and you've got to remember this is a much smaller aircraft i mean that sort yeah. of service would be absolutely unfeasible on like on virgin's a350 <laughs> for example yeah. but uh, but on something small like the a321 i can see it working um yeah i do wonder if they're going to make people order in advance or if they're just going to carry two of everything or no, you um, know the, the whole point is that you can order it on, on the like plane you can, so yeah. they're going to have to have like extra, lots of extra. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess some stuff's just going to run out because, you know, yeah. if you carry two of every, uh, or enough for everyone to have everything, you that know, would be it insane. starts getting wasteful. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's oh, not it'd be really interesting sort of... to find out more about how that's going to work from an operational yeah. point of view. 
Um, but yeah, it sounds nice. I, I have mm. to say, it sounds like a great way to travel. And as yeah. much as I sing the praises of the new Mint product, when it comes to actually paying for travel, <laughs> I'm probably mm. almost certainly going to be flying in economy. So it's good yeah. to hear that it's going to be a comfortable and well catered for place. Yeah. And I mean, you will also get um, free Wi-Fi for the duration of your flight. As and, per everything um, JetBlue. International live TV. So Nice, nice. That'll be a treat. I don't watch any live TV at home. <laughs> no, me neither. So <laughs> Get to see what's actually on the real telly for once. Mm. Oh, it sounds lovely. I can't wait. And uh, we're still waiting on the uh, official route announcement and the official airport that they'll be landing at. But uh, Although we all it know seems it's like Heathrow. Heathrow by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we didn't tell you that. Anyway, I think that's about all we've got time for on today's podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.